Welcome to the Dermatology Podcast, the official podcast of the European Academy of Dermatology and Venereology. I'm Christopher Horskamp. And I'm Cecilia Mitwash. And we are your hosts. Today we'll be speaking with Dr. Kalaf Kredin and Dr. Joost Meyer about their extensive research with blistering diseases. So in general, knowing more about the antibody response may lead to more specific treatments. So in future, uh, when we know more about the disease mechanism, you know better where to interact in the process for treatment uh, of the patient. We'll come back to that in a moment, but first... Face-to-face courses are back. Specialists, residents and now nurses all have the possibility to attend EEDV organized courses. We are looking forward to meeting you in some of the most beautiful cities in Europe. To see what's coming up next, go to eadv.org and check under face-to-face education. And if you're not already an EADV member, have you thought about becoming one? Benefit from access to on-demand webcasts, online courses, 19 medical journals, including EADV's esteemed JEADV, over 20 textbooks, reduced fees for congresses and symposia, and much, much more. Just go to eadv.org under membership for more information. And now... Dr. Kredin is an assistant professor in the University of Lübeck, Germany, and additionally directs the unit of dermatology, Baruch Pade Medical Center, Israel. He holds a PhD degree in epidemiology. His main research focus is on epidemiological aspects of autoimmune bullous diseases, as well as on the newly recognized subtypes of bullous pemphigoid. He is part of the EADV Task Force for Autoimmune Bullous Diseases. Dr. Meyer is a dermatologist working at the Center for Blistering Diseases at the Department of Dermatology of the University Medical Center Groningen, the Netherlands. He completed his summa cum laude PhD entitled Diagnosis of Pemphigoid Diseases in 2018. His research focus is on several aspects of pemphigoid diseases, mainly diagnostics, immunofluorescence microscopy and non-bullous pemphigoid. He is also a member of the EADV Task Force on Autoimmune Bullous Diseases. So Dr. Gredin, it's great to have you with us today. It's my pleasure. Good morning. And Dr. Meyer, it's nice to have you here as well. Hello, thank you, and pleasure to join you. Let's start with a question for Dr. Credine. Could you tell us a little bit about patients with bullous pemphigoid and comorbid psoriasis present with less blisters and lower serum levels than anti-BP-180 antibodies? In a nutshell, what was this research and what did you discover? Thank you so much for your question. Actually, we, we performed a study trying to investigate the prevalence of psoriasis among patients with bullous pemphigoid. So we followed patients with a BP, 273 patients with BP uh, diagnosed in a tertiary referral, referral center for autoimmune bullous diseases. And we found that 4% of these patients have comorbid psoriasis throughout the course of their BP. Um, in addition, we aim to characterize the immunological and clinical features of these patients Uh, patients with both diseases as compared to patients with isolated BP to see whether these patients are typified by uh, by distinct clinical and immunological features. So we were able to show that patients with BP and comorbid psoriasis are typified by a milder uh, um, erosive phenotype of the disease. They tend to present 
less frequently with extensive disease. Correspondingly, they demonstrate immunologically, they demonstrate lower levels of the pathogenic autoantibody of BP, anti-BP 180 and C16A. Uh, in addition, these patients present with BP at an earlier age compared to other patients with BP without psoriasis. Could there be common factors in the pathophysiology of these diseases that could explain the high prevalence of comorbidity? Uh, actually, the, 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 the pathomechanisms underlying this association between psoriasis and BP is very hypothetical. Uh, one should acknowledge that. Uh, one of the, like, part of these potential putative mechanisms relate to the disease, uh, relate to psoriasis, which in the vast majority of cases precedes the onset of BP. So one of these, uh, part of these mechanisms relate to the disease, to psoriasis, and part of them relate to the treatment of psoriasis. So when we, when we uh, examine um, components of the basement membrane zone in patients with psoriasis, we may see that patients with psoriasis demonstrate disruption uh, in part of the components, part of the antigens of the basement membrane zone, for example, laminin alpha-1, for example. This configurational changes may uh, increase the antigenicity of the basement membrane zone and lower the threshold for generation of autoantibodies targeting the basement membrane zone, different antigens, specifically BP180. Um, in addition, the, the inflammatory process in uh, psoriasis may induce, again, structural changes uh, in BP180 and other uh, components of the basement membrane zone, thus leading to production of autoantibodies targeting these uh, uh, antigens. This phenomenon is called or is coined uh, epitope spreading phenomenon, where an inflammatory process exposes different antigens of the tissue to the immune system thus leading to the production of an immune response, of a humoral Im immune response against these autoantigens. This regarding the disease. When we examine uh, therapeutic modalities of psoriasis, uh, we can see that one of the most frequent uh, uh, treatments for psoriasis is uh, ultraviolet irradiation, uh, phototherapy. Uh, it has been shown that Exposing cultured keratinocytes for UV irradiation for 24 hours induce uh, internalization of BP180. So there are changes, uh, changes induced by UV irradiation in the uh, expression of BP180 in cultured keratinocytes. This may imply that exposure to UV irradiation may also be implicated in, in triggering BP among patients with psoriasis managed by phototherapy. This hypothesis was not supported by, by our findings since out of the 11 patients with comorbid BP and psoriasis, only one patient had recent phototherapeutic uh, uh, treatment uh, in, a, in a proximity to the involvement of uh, BP. Um, yeah. So these are the hypothetical mechanisms underlying this relationship between both diseases. 
And based on the outcomes of this study, what do we know about the clinical and immunological characteristics of bullous pemphigoid patients with comorbid psoriasis? So comparing patients with BP and comorbid psoriasis to other patients with BP, we showed that patients with, uh, with these uh, two diseases simultaneously have milder uh, erosive phenotype of the disease. Like they present with lower uh, levels of BPDAI score of the uh, uh, blister erosion component of this severity score of the disease. In addition, they have lower levels of the pathogenic autoantibody of BP180. And they present uh, with the disease at an earlier age. We also found that uh, patients with psoriasis and comorbid uh, patients with BP and comorbid psoriasis uh, demonstrate higher frequency of isolated C3 deposition uh, in direct immunofluorescence analysis. Um, these are the clinical and immunological features of this disease, which typify them relative to other patients. With, with isolated BP. And how can the identified immunological differences be associated with patients' response to therapy and long-term prognosis? Mm -hmm. Actually, as we know, uh, one of the main treatments for severe BP, for moderate to severe BP, is systemic corticosteroids. Uh, systemic corticosteroids are renowned for their potential to exacerbate psoriasis or to, to induce flares of psoriasis. So this class of drug should be used very uh, cautiously among patients with BP and psoriasis in order to avoid flares of psoriasis. So in this specific subgroup of patients with comorbid BP and psoriasis, uh, there should be a tendency to, to utilize adjuvant immunosuppressive drugs, adjuvant immunosuppressants, in order to avoid, in order to minimize the cumulative dose of systemic corticosteroids, therefore avoiding the risk of triggering flares, exacerbations of psoriasis induced by systemic corticosteroids. And would patients with BP and comorbid psoriasis benefit from starting adjuvant agents sooner than patients with BP without psoriasis? I think this should be the therapeutic approach to this group of patients just to minimize the exposure to systemic corticosteroids and to try to avoid uh, um, experiencing flares of psoriasis induced by systemic corticosteroids. And it, it is known that corticosteroid uh, sparing adjuvant drugs may really reduce the total exposure to systemic corticosteroids uh, and to, uh, uh, to reduce the cumulative dose of systemic corticosteroids. So these drugs may be of, of great benefit in this subgroup of patients uh, in order to. Again, as I already specified, uh, reduce the exposure to systemic corticosteroids and minimize the cumulative dose of this drug. And I have some questions for Dr. Meyer about his article entitled IG Autoantibodies in Serum and Skin of Nambolos and Bullous Pemphigoid Patients, which was published in the JADV. So the aim of this study was to assess IgE autoantibody presence in two groups of patients. Uh, with bullous pemphigoid and with non-bullous pemphigoid, and to see whether there's a difference um, uh, suggesting a role in blister formation. So the study was mainly performed by PhD candidates uh, Anik Lambers and Nika Kotnik from Groningen and from Oldenburg. And um, we found 
similar findings of IgE autoantibodies in both groups, patients with blisters and without blisters. The IgE was mainly bound to dermal immune cells and only in two cases found at the basement membrane zone, which you can see with IgG. So our findings suggest that IgE has a role in the disease mechanism, but probably is not the key factor for blister formation itself. According to your findings, total Ig was elevated in 63% of non-bolus pemphigoid and BP and 60% of bolus pemphigoid BP patients, and in 20% of pemphigus controls, as well as 60% of elderly controls. How can this elevated Ig be involved in the pathogenesis of BP and MBP? So if you take a look at the disease phenotype of bolus pemphigoid, you see uh, uh, pruritus, you see urticarial plaque, so it implicates a role of IgE in the disease mechanism. And also anti-IgE treatment, a reduced pruritus and blister formation. So the aim of this study was to assess IgE presence in uh, two groups, in uh, bolus pemphigoid and non-bolus pemphigoid, to see whether there was a difference. So we found elevated IgE levels in BP patients, in non-bolus pemphigoid patients, but also in the controls. So um, bolus pemphigoid is uh, defined by detection of autoantibodies, but detection of autoantibodies does not always implicate disease. So we know for IgG that uh, you can also have uh, positive findings in the serological tests um, in healthy controls or in uh, elderly uh, with pruritus, for example. So um, uh, we do not exactly know yet the role of IgE in a disease mechanism um, and the clinical relevance of these autoantibodies. So the IgE autoantibodies has been shown in bolus pemphigoid patients uh, many years ago and also specific IgE autoantibodies. So because we found similar findings in both groups, um, our findings suggest it's not um, an, a critical role for the blister formation, but uh, probably it is involved in the disease mechanism, in the inflammatory re response, uh, but not leading to the blister itself. So the finding of the elevated IgE in the patient groups and also in the controls um, raises questions where in the disease process the IgE is involved, um, but the clinical phenotype and the repeated findings uh, do suggest it has a role. Are there any connections between the differences in staining pattern and the clinical presentation of the patients? So the, the, the study compared uh, different groups of patients uh, with and without blistering but it did not include uh, specific clinical features such as the pruritus or disease activity. It mainly focused on um, lab results such as uh, eosinophilia, um, histopathology, and the immunological tests. So we could not relate to clinical features besides having blisters or not. Uh, we know for non-bolus pemphigoid, um, we, uh, we start to characterize these patients and we see some patterns of the immunological test that we also saw for IgG 
and now for IgE as well. So we could relate some findings, such as uh, reactivity mainly to BP230 instead of BP180 in patients without skin blistering that were similar in IgG and in IgE. So um, we did see similar patterns, but we cannot, cannot uh, relate to certain clinical features. It has been suggested that a specific IgE to BP230 was associated to um, a, a pemphigoid phenotype with pruritus and nodules. So uh, possibly in future, we might relate specific phenotype to the autoantibody profile. How does this study underline the importance of anti-Ig treatment in BP and NBP? So in general, um, knowing more about the um, antibody response uh, may lead to more specific treatments. So in future, uh, when we know more about the disease mechanism, you know better where to uh, uh, interact in the process for treatment uh, of the patient. So, because um, results have been shown about omalizumab anti-IgE treatment that has reduced the pruritus and blister formation, it would be interesting also to use this treatment for patients without the skin blistering to see whether they also have a reduced pruritus. So it would be an interesting next step um, to, to, to study. So again, it's great to have you both here. And you both have done some very similar research in some respects, but you've never actually met in person or, or even on Zoom before. Yes, but, but we, we had, we had uh, emails recently, and I, I, had, I had a contact with, uh, with uh, Professor Yonkman, uh, who um, passed away maybe two years ago. Uh, he, he was the, the head of the department Dr. Meyer belongs to. So we had some indirect connections, let's say. So we are both members of the EADV task force for autoimmune bullous diseases. So we will meet in future, but I also, also uh, just recently uh, became dermatologist and continued with the research I did as a PhD um, uh, about pemphigoid diseases. So our, I think our, the focus of our research has, um, has some similarities. So we will get in touch um, about future projects. And so throwing this out to both of you, how can research concerning antibodies in blistering diseases contribute to better treatment of these conditions? So one example I gave about IgE is the use of anti-IgE treatment of omalizumab, a treatment we use for urticaria. So because the role of IgE is becoming more known in bullous pemphigoid, probably also non-bullous pemphigoid, such a treatment would be an option to have a more specific treatment for a patient. So to get to know more about the antibodies itself, in future with new drugs being developed, you would also have more specific treatment options available. I have also another insight regarding the role of autoantibodies in, in, uh, in tailoring the therapeutic approach for each individual patient. I think that if we take a look at uh, uh, the immunodiagnostics of autoimmune bullous diseases three decades ago, for example, 
all subepidermal autoimmune bullous diseases were pulled into a one package of thymsigoid diseases or subepidermal autoimmune bullous diseases with, without differentiating between the different autoantigens of the uh, of uh, of uh, the disease. So, uh, with the development of the immune diagnostic assays throughout the years, we were able to detect uh, autoantibodies targeting specific autoantigens of the basement membrane zone. Uh, thus, we were able to differentiate between bullous mufigoid and epidermalis bullosa acquisita, for example, uh, in which collagen 7 is targeted, and anti-P200 pinfigoid, for example, in which laminin gamma 1 is mostly targeted. And we, we all know that, that uh, patients with EVA tend to follow a more refractory course compared to BPE, while patients with anti-P200 anti pinfigoid usually follow a milder course of, of their disease. So it is highly important to differentiate between these subtypes of subepidermal autoimmune bullous diseases in order to know which therapeutic regimen to, to, to adapt. Because in EVA, one should follow a, a stricter therapeutic regimen for longer duration to avoid uh, the scarring that may, may develop throughout the course of the disease, while in anti P200 pinfigoid, a milder therapeutic regimen should be followed, uh, and topical corticosteroids can be sufficient in certain cases. Uh, so I think that this may be uh, another clinical implication of knowing uh, or of detecting the autoantigen uh, of the disease, uh, of knowing like the, the, the uh, oh, elucidating the profile of the autoantibodies uh, of patients. And so, in your opinions, could a deeper understanding of antibodies help bring forward the personalized medicine approach in BP and NBP? I want to present a historical fact, like maybe 30 years ago, every patient demonstrating subepidermal blister on, on histology and presenting a deposition, linear deposition of immunoreactants in dark immunofluorescence Microscopy. All of these patients were coined as pinfigoid. Uh, after recognizing the different autoantigens with the development of the immunodiagnosis of the disease, uh, uh, you will be able to tailor the treatment in a more personalized way. For example, a patient with EBA should be treated more strictly for long duration, while patients with anti-P200 pinfigoid may be managed only topically. Of course, based on the uh, uh, individual course of the disease, but but knowing these differences may really pave the way to tailor a more specific, a more personalized uh, therapeutic approach for each patient. And Dr. Meyer? So for psoriasis, not with the comorbidity of bullous pemphigoid, nowadays you have um, several options to choose from in treatment, depending on patient's characteristics and if they have comorbidities. So this would be a future for pemphigoid disease because the patient population is, is uh, often uh, elderly with comorbidities, with uh, fragility. So a more specific and personalized treatment would be um, uh, the best, best option. Uh, to prevent current treatments that have uh, side effects and uh, uh, conflicts with the comorbidities. So I think it's one 
uh, need for the patients uh, to have a more personalized treatment uh, with future uh, drugs. So we've reached the end of our questions, but do you have any questions for each other? I have one question for uh, my colleague. Um, do you see similarities with lichen planus pemphigoides, which is a combination of lichen planus and bullous pemphigoid, which also disrupts the basement membrane zone, similar possibly to, to the psoriasis? Yes, thank you so much for the question. Actually, the coexistence of BP and lichen planus um, may be interpreted in a similar way like the coexistence of psoriasis and, and BP. Like there is an inflammatory process uh, inducing configurational or structural alterations in the, in the basement membrane zone. This may lead to a, fem a, a, a epitope spreading phenomenon lower the threshold for uh, production of autoantibodies, targeting different antigens of the basement membrane zone. I think, again, these mechanisms are very uh, speculative, very uh, hypothetical, but, but uh, uh, it makes a lot of mechanistic uh, uh, sense just to think about uh, uh, these, these mechanisms as a trigger for the development of both diseases simultaneously or uh, uh, concomitant. Well, it's been greatly insightful. We appreciate you being with us today and hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you, and I enjoyed the discussion. Thank you so much for hosting me. See you. And that's it for this week's episode. The research discussed today can be found in the Journal of the European Academy of Dermatology and Venerology. Though you can find free access and open access articles, EADV members benefit greatly by having access to all articles and content. Links to the articles can be found in the summary to today's podcast. We would like to thank Dr. Kredin and Dr. Meyer for sharing their research and knowledge with us. And we would like to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure you follow us on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts to make sure you get the newest episodes delivered right to you. We appreciate you joining us and look forward to presenting more interviews, research, and other topics of merit. Until the next episode, take care of your skin.